You're listening to Love, Maine Radio with Dr. Lisa Belial, recorded in the studio of Maine Magazine at 75 Market Street, Portland, Maine. Dr. Lisa Belial is a physician trained in family and preventative medicine, acupuncture, and public health. She offers medical care and acupuncture at Brunswick Family Medicine. Read more about her integrative approach to wellness in Maine Magazine. Love, Maine Radio is available for download free on iTunes. See the Love Maine Radio Facebook page or www.lovemainradio.com for details. Now here are a few highlights from this week's program. Being a stylist, being an artist, working in textiles, working in painting, working in drawing, it's all the same to me because it's all form, line, color, shape. And when I'm creating a set for a photo shoot, it's like me putting together shapes in my head for a painting. It's the same thing. So it's just playing with different materials, I guess. Having that graphic design background has completely made things so much easier for me, I think, and I really believe that because I'm able to market myself and design my own brand. I think brands are really powerful. Love Maine Radio is made possible with the support of the following generous sponsors. Maine Magazine, Marcy Booth of Booth, Maine, Apothecary by Design, Mike LePage and Beth Franklin of Remax Heritage, Tom Shepard of Shepard Financial, Harding Lee Smith of The Rooms, and Bangor Savings Bank. This is Dr. Lisa Belial, and you are listening to Love, Maine Radio, show number 175, Designing Maine, airing for the first time on Sunday, January 18th, 2015. Maine is home to many talented artists and designers, Today we speak with Heather Shantos and Aaron Flett, both of whom are making their marks on the world of style from fashion to home furnishings. You have seen their work nationally and internationally in publications such as Oprah Magazine. We are proud to have them designing in Maine. Thank you for joining us. I'm always intrigued to uh, speak with people who have spent time outside of the state of Maine and then specifically choose to come back. I love speaking with creative individuals who are passionate about what they do and passionate about bringing their style and their vision to Maine. So today on Love Maine Radio, I'm interviewing Heather Shantos. She is a designer, artist, and stylist who has a studio in the State Theater Building in Portland. She has styled for Gourmet Magazine, Gap, Anthropology, Coach, Travel and Leisure, Bon Appetit, and many more. She's also the mother of daughters Cody and Zanna. Zanna. And I suspect that might be the more important thing yes. in your life. <laughs> They're the main feature, for sure. Well, thanks so much for coming in, and you have a great story, and I'm glad you're willing to share Thank it you. with us. Thanks. Heather, you're originally from New York, yes. and you spent time in Barcelona. I did. I was a precocious um, teenager who went um, to the south, south of France when I was 13 with a family in New York um, as their babysitter, and that was pretty much it. I didn't. I decided at that point I didn't want to live in the States, um, which lasted for about 10 years, a little bit longer. Um, and so I applied for a study abroad program when I was 15 to go to Barcelona. And I had graduated already from high school. Um, when, I, when I went, I was actually 16, so I'd already graduated. And I loved it, and I lucked out with an amazing um, family. They were all artists and designers, and it felt pretty 
homey for me to be there. So I, I kind of stuck around probably a little longer than they were expecting. <laughs> but, um, but it was a, it was a good platform for me to, to start on the, on the big adventure for sure. Well, that's interesting because you, how old are your daughters now? 15, almost 16 and uh, six. Right. Yeah. So when you think about your daughter, it's Cody, who's the older yeah, one. When you think about one. her being out and about in the world, how does that translate for you? Um, well, yeah, it terrifies me that she might do the same thing. Um, but I, I suppose it's different because she, Cody was born in London. Um, her father is Swedish. And she has pretty much spent the entirety of her life traveling. So her desire to hop around in that same way it's she wants to do it but she doesn't feel as compelled to sort of run off and find the world whereas I I grew up in a family that you know my my parents still don't have passports they've never left the United States and it was a very different upbringing Um, so I think that's played a big part because we've had a lot of adventures so she's not I guess she's not having that sort of yearning for that kind of a life where I, I definitely was having that. Um, so thinking about her going out into the world, um, yeah, it's uh, terrifying. And um, we've been on our own since she was four. So the fact that she may go off and do her own thing, well, she may, she will go off and do her own thing very soon. Um, it's almost like losing a partner which is kind of a, a funny a funny thing to say about your own child. But we've kind of grown up together because I was 21 when I had her. So, um, yeah, it's a whole new phase of life coming up pretty soon. So we'll see what she does. You know, I don't know. She wants to go to school in Europe because she is actually a, a Swedish citizen. And I might follow her. I don't know. <laughs> we'll see. We'll see what happens. She kind of... She expressed that she'd like that to be the case, and we could all go and live in in Sweden while she goes to school so that we can be nearby. But I don't know. We're very, very different. Very, very different. And how would her younger daughter, I mean younger daughter, your younger daughter, her younger sister, how would she feel about that? Yeah, she's she's pretty... um, easygoing, I would say. She just kind of, I mean, it's a funny little unit that we have going on. Um, it's, we're a tight, very tiny little family. And um, I think wherever Cody wants to go, Zana's going to want to go, of course. Um, but they're really great. They're super um, open to things being different and changing. We just moved to Peaks Island like a month ago. And it was a decision that happened in a day and our lease was up on our apartment in the West End, and I found this adorable little house, and they were like, yeah, that'd be so fun. We'd take the ferry and go and go to school every day, and they, they're into it. So I think they're both open to transition and change, and I try to make it, um, I try to express it as an adventure all the time. So it's not some sort of daunting and negative experience, and so they're, they're always up for it. So it's good. It's interesting to hear that you come from a family in New York that was sort of content to be where it was, your parents not having passports. And still in the same place. Still yeah. in the same place. <laughs> but you early on, and you're very different, but early on you had something that happened to you that most people could never imagine. You lost your vision. You were 13 years old. Yeah. 
So do you think that that shifted the way that you oh, yeah. approach the world? Oh, definitely. Um, I, I guess, I mean, I was always very interested in the possibilities of, of traveling. Um, I think before I lost my eyesight, I wanted to be a marine biologist like every 13-year-old girl does. And um, I wrote to, I had written to the embassy in, in Australia and asked them how I could come and live there so that I could come and study I was obsessed with Australia, and I wanted to go there and, and become a marine biologist. And then, um, so that was that was kind of pre-losing my eyesight. Um, I was very science-oriented, very health-oriented, and into running and very um, athletic. And then I lost my eyesight, and it just heightened everything so much because I guess at a very young age, I all of a sudden had this understanding of how things are not always going to be the same and that major things can happen which can alter your life which I don't think you should necessarily understand at age 13 but that was not the case for me so I it was eight months it was about eight, six six to eight months I can't even remember um I woke up one morning I had enormous amounts of pain and then my eyesight got blurry and by the end of the day I couldn't see anything and it was a matter of, you know, just months and months of playing around with medication and tons of testing, and they didn't understand it, the doctors didn't understand it, so um, it was an intense process to go through, and so by the time I was done, I um, had developed a different sort of survival skill, and I guess I just wanted to experience everything and see everything and, and that came on like a ton of bricks afterwards. Um, and I think, you know, as much as my parents uh, are so, you know, they're, they're homebodies and they, you know, they work on their house and they make this beautiful place and they've never left it and they talk about moving now and I look at them and think it's never going to happen. They understood that that was, that I had experienced something and needed to just go off into the world and, and do what I needed to do because I had just gone through this crazy thing. So they let me explore and they let me go and I, you know, I worked and saved up money and got scholarships and went off and, and did what I needed to do. But it definitely became, the world became more visual, obviously, for me um, afterwards, for sure. And it continues to be that way. I had a couple of episodes that happened throughout the years um, that may or may not be related, but I lost my vision for a period of a half an hour at one point when I was pregnant with Santa. And um, it was terrifying because I thought, I'm losing my sight again. And I remember being in the hospital at one point and the doctors preparing me for the fact that I was going to have to learn Braille and that I may have to go to school for the blind and that I may never see again because they just they had no idea what was going on. There was no apparent real reason as to why it was happening. Um, and so, you know, having those experiences, I, I, I think probably in the back of my mind, I'm always worried that it'll happen again because we don't understand it and there's no reasoning behind it. So there's no reason why it wouldn't happen again. And that sounds kind of negative. I'm not, you know, I'm, I'm not living every day thinking, oh my God, I'm never going to be able to see again. But it's definitely a, a thought. It happens. It, it passes through my mind. So I'm very happy that I get to have this fun 
life where I create things and people really love it, which is nice too. <laughs> um, but yeah, definitely, it's it's changed. It changed everything, and it changed how I see uh, most parts of of my my life and what's important, what's not important, and all of that. As I, I imagine, most people when they go through something that changes their perception or of what their life is going to be like, that they would feel the same, I would think. Luckily, I got my vision back. It's not something that, that has, um, you know, maintained like her, uh, being a problem in my life. So I'm, I'm a lucky one. You know, people get sick and never get better. And so I feel like I'm pretty lucky because at least I came out the other side and I have, a, I have a different understanding of things, which is great. And they're really, it sounds like they really never understood why you lost your vision. You never really got a diagnosis. There's not anything you can do to prevent this from happening again. No, it, it's, um, it's a very strange illness. It's called um, optic neuritis. It's, and mine was bilateral with both eyes. Um, optic neuritis is something that happens in women in their 30s that generally um, are having an onset of multiple sclerosis. So um, I remember at one point they were trying to sort of find me a support group and they could only find three or four women in the entire United States that actually it, it happened to, but of course everyone was in their 30s and I was 13 and it was like, there wasn't a lot in common for us to discuss. Um, and of course, these people were actually really sick. You know, they had multiple sclerosis, which is a horrible, horrible disease. and um, you know, the fact that they were going through this, that they were experiencing it on a, on a very different level. That um, yeah, there was no, it just happened. They say it could have been stress. Um, that, you know, at age 13, I don't know what kind of levels of stress I was having that would create that. Um, but there's, there's, yeah, there's no reason. There's no rhyme or reason to it. So it is, it's hard to pinpoint, but you know, um, it's it's an illness that's very every time I go for a checkup you know I have a team of students that come in and observe me like I am just the most fascinating guinea pig on the face of the planet um, and my you know my it's basically your optic nerve becomes so inflamed that it no longer works and um, and it hurts it hurts a lot I mean as you imagine having like an inflamed nerve in your head which is basically what you know was why it hurt so bad I couldn't move my eyes I couldn't move my neck um, but my optic nerve now is, is kind of, a, it's kind of amazing. It looks like, um, the pictures of it are, are wild. It just, it looks like those old, um, illustrations from the war when like the fire, you know, they show that like the, the, um, when they're shooting at each other and there's just, you know, this like bright orange glowy looking sort of, you know, explosions in the sky. It looks like that. And it's. It's kind of wild, and people just are, are fascinated. Doctors and students are fascinated by it. It's pretty. It's pretty funny because they just don't see it. It just doesn't happen very often, as far as I understand. I was just in Vienna in September, and I um, went on a wine tasting tour, and there was uh, a conference there of neurologists and um, brain surgeons, some very very smart people. Um, that were they were on a conference and these guys were from um, John Hopkins, and I asked them. I said, you know, have you ever come across? And they said they never in their you know thirty year um, career had they ever come across it. 
And so that opened up a can of worms because that was a, a nice, a fun conversation over many glasses of wine in the countryside of Vienna. But, you know, again, like here are these doctors from, you know, John Hopkins that are looking at and all these patients with many different illnesses and they had, they had never come across it either. So I guess I'm kind of special <laughs> in that regard. It's, yeah, I mean, it's an interesting, it's, it's an interesting part of, part of my story for sure. Here on Love Maine Radio, we've long recognized the link between health and wealth. Here to speak more on the topic is Tom Shepard of Shepherd Financial. Wouldn't it be great if we could spend our days doing all the things we dreamed of while gazing up at the stars on a crystal clear night? Yet for most people, and I include myself in that group, the realities of daily living prevent it from happening. We all have responsibilities to our employers, our families, people who rely on us to be there for them. But what if you could get to a place where you're able to reinvent yourself and start a new journey that was more fulfilling? What if you could define what true north meant and find your star and start walking towards it? What if you had the money to embark on a second life because financial worry had fallen off your radar? This, my friends, is what I call the seventh state of your financial evolution. And while I'm certainly not there yet, I'm here to help you get there. It's time to evolve. Get in touch with Shepherd Financial and we'll help you evolve with your money. Securities offered through LPL Financial, member FINRA SIPC. Investment advice offered through Flagship Harbor Advisors, a registered investment advisor. Flagship Harbor Advisors and Shepherd Financial are separate entities from LPL Financial. Love, Maine Radio was brought to you by Bangor Savings Bank. For over 150 years, Bangor Savings has believed in the innate ability of the people of Maine to achieve their goals and dreams. Whether it's personal finance, business banking, or wealth management assistance you're looking for, at Bangor Savings Bank, you matter more. For more information, visit www.bangor.com. It's interesting to me to know that before this happened, you were very, you were more sciency and linear and health, and and then whatever happened in your brain at the time that this was going on, it shifted things. And then when you kind of came out the other side, all of a sudden you saw, you literally saw things differently. And then you turned this into, you became very interested in art and you became very interested in the visual and you and it sounds like you have two different kinds of things you do that you kind of style for people but then you also are an artist I don't see them as being different um many times people ask me you know how did you become a stylist and um as being a stylist I guess is sort of an extension of everything else um I I went to college in London I studied art history and I did it. I did a program that was actually art history and material studies. So it was um, studying chemistry and learning how to um, conserve artwork, as well as studying the history of it. Um, but in a, my you know dorm room in my first year of college, I met a student who was a painter, amazing painter, and we started painting on stuff. And I had always drawn, but I had I had never really worked with paint before and um, it became very interesting to me and and sort of that progressed and then 
I was working um, with a, with an amazing furniture designer in London, and some woman came in one day and she said she was a prop stylist and that she needed to get some things for a photo shoot. And I was like, what what is that? Like, what is a prop stylist? And so she explained it to me and we went for coffee the next day and she sort of talked to me about it. And I was like, oh, I, I could do that. You know, that's, I like, I could totally figure that one out. And so I got a sketchbook and I drew all these um, scenarios of, of what would be interesting photo shoots. And I colored them in and... Um, I went to, I cold called like, I don't know, 10 different editors in London and three of them said, yeah, come on in. And the first one, um, Elfrida Pownell was the, and she's still there. Um, she is the design director at the Telegraph a magazine in London. There's the, I guess it's like the Saturday magazine. Um, and she looked at my sketchbook and she was like, yeah, I really, I like these ideas. So... Let's, do you think you could pull it off? And I was like, yeah, of course. I was 19, I think. Um, and so I did. And she sent me to the house of this amazing, amazing, amazing photographer, Bill Batten, who is like one of the world's best interior photographers. And he, he works for World of Interiors magazine. And I mean, just Casa Vogue. I mean, like the guy was phenomenal. And we sort of played around at his house with all these things that I, got from shops or, you know, I knew all these designers because I had been working with, with furniture designers. Um, and then I made a bunch of this stuff myself and kind of took it from there. And I think the thing is being a stylist, being an artist, working in textiles, working in painting, working in drawing, it's all the same to me because it's all form, line, color, shape. And to have a successful image be created, I mean, yes, you need to understand how photography works and you need to understand how an image will translate whether it's in person in a window or whether it's coming to, to print somewhere, um, which you learn over time just through experience. Um, but it's, it's all the same. It's all the, the same thing to me. I don't differentiate it. Like when I'm creating a set for a photo shoot, it's like me putting together shapes in my head for a painting. It's the same thing. So it's just playing with different materials, I guess. The publications that you've worked for are really impressive. <laughs> Thanks. Um, Gourmet Magazine, you worked briefly, you said, for Cooking Light, um, Bon Appetit, Travel and Leisure. What are some of the favorite um, things that you've created, scenes that you've created, things that you've been a part of? What has really drawn you in and caused you to be excited? I started uh, as an intern at World of Interiors magazine. And the first photo shoot I did for them is probably still my favorite. Um, World of Interiors was, you know, it's still to this day, it's just um, they represent a different level of design thought and creativity that should be implemented more, and it's not. Um, we've become very formulaic, especially in this country where things are set out and very regimental as far as design trends go, and it's kind of boring um, to me and sort of um, disappointing, actually. Um, I think that um, my favorite, definitely World of Interiors would be number one, but I was the art director for the photographer Corin Day. She passed away a couple years ago. Um, but she created 
a world in fashion. Um, so it's funny because a lot of the, li- the the magazines on that list are all very food oriented. But before I did any food, which I do love working with, um, I did a lot of fashion. And we did stories for British Vogue and Italian Vogue that were just wild. I mean, she would pick me up in this like town car and we would go to the craziest ends of London and find furniture that was ripped apart that I could paint or I could, you know, reconstruct. And then we'd go to locations that um, were sort of decrepit and falling apart. And, um, you know, we would make it into this magical place where all of a sudden this whole other scenario was being created. So um, those were definitely my, my favorite days because I was allowed to just completely be me as a creative person um and then i moved back to the states and uh yeah i would say after that gourmet without a doubt um it was the richard freddie who's the creative director there um he would give us a script and there was a story and there was always a character and there would be a location and there wasn't a lot of money to go to brazil so we did a story once in New Jersey, and it was meant to be Brazil. And um, we found these little kids on the beach whose parents let us very nicely take them and use them as models. We had models, too. And when you look at these photographs, everyone's like, where did you go? Where was that shoot? Like some crappy beach in New Jersey that, you know, we just kind of made. We had all these. I would get these amazing props and uh, create stuff. And then there would be the, the food stylist who was incredible making this amazing meal. And so it was this funny thing where the, the meal created a story and then there was a character that implemented that story. And so we did that over and over again in amazing locations with incredible photographers. I mean, I am really fortunate. I have worked with some of the world's best. My very best friend and my favorite, John Koenig, um, he's amazing. Bill Abranowitz, Mikkel Vang, like these guys are all over the world shooting for not only, you know, interiors and food and, you know, fashion stuff. They do National Geographic travel magazine and they go to the most incredible places and their their visual perception of things is amazing. But I always remind them that when we do these stories that they would have nothing to photograph if it wasn't for me. So um, I like to take as much credit as possible for them. I'm sure they would disagree. But it is, um, yeah, it's it's been pretty interesting. I would say gourmet would be my favorite in the States. And tell me about your art. I'm mostly painting. And when I'm not painting actual paintings, I do a lot of work on textiles. It's pretty big and loud and abstract um, and colorful. And it's probably the one thing I think I'm truly the, the best at. Like if I was gonna say there's one thing in this world that I should do, it's probably painting. Because it's just, it, bec- it comes so naturally to me for some strange reason. And I feel like I am probably my most honest self when I'm doing it. So so that feels really nice. And I try to do it. I do it every day. I paint every day, at least for a couple of hours. I love my life. Um, I love my family. And I think I have an enormous amount of love to give as a person. And that doesn't always come across. And it's not always 
easy to do that in your everyday life. So I feel like in my work, I'm able to do that. I I was in Copenhagen last week, actually, and I was sitting with a friend of mine who took the train from Malmo, Sweden, to Copenhagen, and we had dinner, and she's an amazing, amazing person. Um, and I, I had told her that this woman had bought a painting recently, and we had a conversation on the phone, and she said, you know, you do happy really well. And I wouldn't describe myself as someone who is extremely happy, because that's not... I don't know. That's that's kind of an un- understatement. It's just like one word that um, doesn't instantaneously come to mind. Probably chaotic and somewhat complicated and um, obsessive compulsive maybe <laughs> would come to mind. But she said, you know, I I don't. She said, I don't think happy is it. And she said, I I feel so much love when I look at your work, and that you know is. And it, I almost cried because that was, it's its true. I think that that's kind of how um, I feel. I love, yeah, I feel like I'm full of love and joy for, for my life, I guess. But definitely chaotic and definitely <laughs> complicated. Well, you do get to be a whole person. I do, you yeah. Don't, you don't have to pigeonhole yourself. Yeah, into, no, thank you. I hate to be pigeonholed, yeah. I can tell, actually. Yes, <laughs> yeah. Well, Heather, after listening to our conversation, I'm sure people will want to be able to see your work. How can they do that and find out more about you? Yeah, um, I have a website. Um, it's just heatherchantos.com, and I'm in the process of um, redesigning some of it. But on there, every, everything is on there for the most part, and there's links to all the different all the different work. So, yeah. It has been a real pleasure to talk to you today. Thank you. Um, we've been speaking with Heather Chantos, who is an artist, designer, and stylist, um, working and living right here in Portland. I guess living technically on Peaks Island, yes. which, which is still Portland. <laughs> still Portland, yeah. Still Portland, yeah. but definitely a great addition to our Love Maine radio show. So thanks. Thank you. As a physician and small business owner, I rely on Marcy Booth from Booth, Maine, to help me with my own business, and to help me live my own life fully. Here are a few thoughts from Marcy. When was the last time you took a break from what you were doing, from the work that was piled up on your desk, and just looked up? I know that during the course of my days, I often forget to take a moment or two to just breathe, look up at the sky, and dream. Terrible that I have to remind myself to breathe, but when I do, I feel energized because in those moments, I'm able to let go of the daily grind and think more about what I want to accomplish, how I want my business to grow. Sometimes those are the aha moments. If we all took a few moments out each day to stop what we're doing and dream a little about our business futures, not only would we feel a great sense of calm, but we may come to realize that these dreams can, in fact, come true. I'm Marcy Booth. Let's talk about the changes you need. BoothMaine.com This segment of Love, Maine Radio is brought to you by the following generous sponsors. Mike LePage and Beth Franklin of Remax Heritage in Yarmouth, Maine. Honesty and integrity can take you home. With Remax Heritage, it's your move. Learn more at rheritage.com. 
It's a privilege of mine to speak with people that I have known from the community for many years and maybe not had quite as much of an opportunity to speak with them in depth. Today I have in the studio Erin Flett, who is one such individual. Um, I actually own a couple of her pillows from maybe a generation back, I guess. Um, I met her um, a few years ago when she was at Picnic, I think. Um, doing selling some of her projects. She is a graphic textile and surface designer with her own line of hand screen textiles and woven fabrics. Her line includes pillows, bags, wall art, limited edition paper products, and also custom projects from interior designers and architects. And anyone who's on Instagram or Facebook has has seen Erin Flett because you're, you're, you're everywhere. So thanks for coming in today. You're Thank so busy. You. Thank you so much. Um, I have really enjoyed... Uh, watching the evolution of your business and your career, because I know that you initially had done some work um, here at 75 Market Street, affiliated with Main Magazine, Main Home Design. Um, you had a couple of daughters. You've like you've just like burst out on the design scene, and you work so hard. So it's so gratifying to me to see a woman who is just. I, I know what I want, you know, I'm gonna keep moving forward and to see that you're getting such traction from this. Thank you. Thank you. It, it was a, it was an interesting start. I, as you said, I'm a graphic designer. I was I have a BFA in graphic design and fine arts. Um, that's where I started. I worked in an advertising studio for the first four years of my life and really honed in my design aesthetic as far as graphic design and typography and worked on packaging and collateral and branding and then into websites when they first start hitting really everybody needed a website and and then quickly after four years I realized that I was never going to make any money doing that basically if I was stayed being an employee sort of vision and also I was pregnant so I also had a vision of what my life was going to be with a child and I was working really crazy hours and I wasn't able to come home every day at five o'clock and so it was challenging so what I ended up doing is I think having Brigia I was probably four months pregnant and I realized okay so I really kind of searched for an outlet as soon as that happened and what happened was I got a band I got call it my band-aid basically I got an opportunity to work at an advertising studio for Briggs Advertising who I love him as well Walter Briggs. He gave me a break. He gave me 20 hours worth of work every week. I was able to stay home. I slowly built my own clients. And then from there, I was just starting my own business. So it was really that one little piece of just stepping out of that comfort zone of having a full-time job and just kind of building. And then I had Brigia. And so that parenting mode kind of kicked in and I just wanted to be home with her and I wanted to nurse as long as I wanted to and I wanted to be able to go um, take her, put her down for a nap and I didn't want to do the whole daycare thing right away. And so that's really what started all of it really is just being a mom and trying to have a good um, family life and trying to, f I'm seeing long-term with the potential of being in a workforce, like having to be at a job all the time. So that's kind of the foundation. And then that quickly led to, I think I worked for Briggs for a couple of years and then I slowly kind of weaned my way off of that. And plus he started getting busier on different things and I started building my own client base. So then that started happening and then literally after a couple of years of that, I got a little bit um, antsy, just kind of bored with what I was doing. I loved doing the branding and stuff, but I was just a little bit more interested in some of the patterns I was making on the graph design pieces. So people started talking about the patterns more so than my graph design work. And so, it was interesting. I literally started doing research, and I found Print Source, a New York show, 
that just sold pattern work. And I visited New York City with my mom and I quickly realized that I could actually make a living doing pattern work. And it was just, it was like almost, it wasn't like a quick, quick thing. It was, I think 2007, I started my first Etsy shop doing like um, letterpress cards. Like, so I took that paper, that graphic design piece to the pattern work and then that quickly fizzled out because I spent so much money on different things and I was like I don't know if I really want to do this and the cards so I really started and stopped really quickly in 2007 it wasn't until 2009 that I really started trying to figure out that I could actually do textiles and that's kind of that's kind of like the segue into that you have a lot of energy I yeah I know <laughs> it's a really great thing but this I think tells me why it is that you've been able to be so successful and to move forward. I mean, I think that I remember seeing you at Sunny's one time with your husband, and I think you are like working on a website or something. I mean, I, I get the sense that for you, even though you backed off so that you could have more flexibility in your schedule with your daughters, and you do spend a lot of time with your daughters, who you said are they're ten and six, ten and seven, ten and seven. Yeah, but you also you integrate them into your work life. We do, we do. And I say we because my husband has been an integral part too. When I started doing the textile design, I was actually asking other people to work with me and print for me. And slowly after me being completely insane about color and all the different patterns, I quickly realized that I wasn't going to be able to hire anybody to really help me that was going to because I was baby it's a long story but basically I had to recruit my husband who's a carpenter to help me build a table down in our basement and this is totally how it started and he literally helped help me build this amazing table he started printing for me he learned how to silk screen we both kind of taught each other how to print and that's and without him I wouldn't be able to do it and so that's really that when you're in your basement mixing ink and all of a sudden it, you just start and having somebody support you too is was huge and he was always supportive of what I said I mean he really wanted me to do the graphic design work which I did all the time I still do a little bit of graphic design work now um, but just as long as that that support system was really big to have that and the, but the the circle back with the with the kids I feel like as a mom what's been really powerful for me is that I want to guide them and show them that they can have a passion and it can and they can actually work towards something if they you know if they just been shown and they work really hard and they put in those hours and, and then they see their parents working together as a team it's not always like roses and happy talk and blah 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 all the day you know all all the time but they see real life and they see real two people that are passionate about each other and something and that's something that they believe in and they see that every day and and then of course they're in the midst of it like they're in the midst of printing or they're in the midst of making and they see things not working out and then we fix it and then we do it again and then they see the highs where like they're going crazy and like I think what's hard for them right now is that they're really excited that we're doing really well, but they also know that because we're doing really well, we're working more a little bit more than they want to. But, um, but I also pick them up every day at school at three o'clock. I take them to dance or ballet or gymnastics. I've really made it a priority to spend serious hours and time with them. And I think just you know, every morning we, before we go to school, we talk about stuff and I drop them off. I don't, t I mean, they, it'd be easier to get them on the bus and go, but they've asked for me to drop them off at school. And it's interesting, like I just listen to what they really want. And I feel like because we have an agreement, I think in the house, like if, as long as I will give you everything that you need and, and I will give you everything as far as spiritually, emotionally and that connectedness. But they, the, the agreement is that they have to be 
connected and spiritual and um, grounded themselves. And they're only little, but they, they understand that they're going to be supportive and be part of this family, that they need to be mindful and um, understanding that mommy and dad are doing this. And I get everything I need. They know that they get everything that they need and, and everything that they really want. And in theory, I mean, you know, within reason, but it's a balancing act. It's that you get whatever you need if you support us. And I think so, and that sounds really weird, but I feel like that connectedness where I'm like, mommy needs to work here, but I'm also driving you to ballet three days a week and I'm staying there waiting for you for an hour, not worrying about anything else and being completely connected with you. Or like in the middle of the night when you need me, I will always be there for you. But there's like, I think it's almost like a camaraderie family team effort that this whole thing has to come together. And the more you connect with them and talk to them about that and how important it is that they all have a buy-in to it. So it's a support It's a support system that we all have. It's interesting. Does that make any sense? It's like some sort of weird agreement that you have with your family, but I think we all need to be connected and, and talk really bluntly about what we need as, a, as people. And, and I'm completely honest with them about what I need and what, and I think therefore they're very honest and completely mindful about what they need. Like, mom, I really want you to do this. I need you to drop me off at school because I don't want to ride the bus for this reason, or I want you to come to this thing because it's really important to me. I feel like opening that up and being honest and has been what's been really helpful, keeping our family um, unit together. And they, they know that mommy's really passionate about what she's doing. And hopefully I'm showing them that us as women can do whatever we want to do and have a family as long as we're, um, we communicate and we are, have good values and, and we stay grounded, I think. So Brigia, my daughter who's 10, who's like, she's always been very, um, she's, I could talk to her when she was two. It's, and I think she's just her own soul and that's always how she's been. Ari is definitely a, um, a different mindset and she's still very sweet and young and I don't, she's not as easy to talk to as connected. As she gets older, she's easier to talk to. When they're little, they're distracted and they're doing things and oh, the birdie, you know, and that you're talking about something really serious and they're completely distracted. So I have two different um, souls living with me. But basically at the end of the day, Brigia has always told me, mom, I love how you talk to me. I love that you talk to me like, you don't talk down to me. She has issues with um, different things with um, like some teachers in the past have talked down to her and she doesn't understand that talk because I literally, we never talk down to our kids. Like I always involve them and I don't know if this might be not for everybody, but for me, it always felt really authentic and real that I could just be like, this is the deal, Brigia. This is what's going on. I'm doing this or whatever it is. But she actually thanked me the other day. She's like, I really thank you for being that way, mom, because I just, I don't like it when people, like adults, they think that just because we're I'm younger doesn't mean I can't understand or they, you know, get they get talked down to or like, oh, you need to leave the room. Like, this is really, this is really a serious topic. And there's really no topics like that in our house. I mean, we literally talk about pretty much any anything within reason, you know, obviously Maz and I will like have conversations and we just include them in the conversation because it affects them and um, I think they respect us for that because we respect them so I think that's huge. There was a time when the apothecary was a place where you could get safe reliable medicines carefully prepared by experienced professionals coupled with care and attention focused on you and your unique health concerns. Apothecary by Design is built around the forgotten notion that you don't just need your prescriptions filled, you need attention, advice, and individual care. 
Visit their website, apothecarybydesign.com, or drop by the store at 84 Marginal Way in Portland and experience pharmacy care the way it was meant to be. Experience chef and owner Harding Lee Smith's newest hit restaurant, Boone's Fish House and Oyster Room, Maine Seafood at its finest. Joining sister restaurants The Front Room, The Grill Room, and The Corner Room, this newly renovated two-story restaurant at 86 Commercial Street on Custom House Wharf overlooks scenic Portland Harbor. Watch lobstermen bring in the daily catch as you enjoy baked stuffed lobster, raw bar, and wood-fired flatbreads. For more information, visit www.theroomsportland.com. Where did this come from in you? Where did you develop this just burning desire to create? When I was growing up, my mom is very artistic in her own right. She's she was very mindful like what she put in her house. She put things on the wall. That She was a stay-at-home mom, first of all. And I think that's where I get my, like, really inner, like, I need to be this really great mom. Because she was a fantastic mom. She stayed home with us. And she, not that that makes you a great mom, because you know, there's a lot of moms that stay home and that aren't probably great moms. But she was just very good about being a great mom. And she was always there for me. But she was very artistic. And she... Um, stayed at home, but she also had, she just cared about what she put in the house, like the way she put it up on the wall, or um, her collect. she had collections, and that those collections became more about who she was, and what she collected always had pattern and color to it, and eventually she started selling her, her pieces that she'd find, and it, you know, it just kind of evolved into a business. And that's kind of where, how my mom evolved into her own passion, which was antiques and buying and collecting and buying and estate sales and selling huge estates. And then she had a huge um, antique shop in Bridgeton, Maine, a few years, many years now, like 10, 15 years ago, I guess now. And she did that for a few years, loved it. And just I mean, just and just her like sensibility throughout my life, and just being really mindful, like how she put things together. She always everything was about presentation, and um, so that's kind of like the the basic, I guess, where I where I grew up. And I think just going to college for graphic design and fine arts, I really started appreciating design and really was exposed. My parents weren't really about fine art or like art art. They loved um, my mom loved collecting things of color and graphic patterns and whatnot. But it wasn't until I went to college I really it kind of came full circle for me because I, I got to get that typography and the graphic design piece of it, and then I got the whole um, the fine art piece of it where I just love the the composition and the push and pull, pull of things and um, yeah so that's it really started meshing really well in college I just and I started meeting people that were really amazing and I think when you surround yourself with people that are way better than you and so many and I still do that today I try to connect with people that are like-minded but also try to connect with people that can teach me things too and I think that's really powerful as a woman I mean I know I'm not good at everything I know that I I want to be good at certain things and I surround myself with people that are really truly want to help you and that love you and that um, kind of support you I, I think I officially met you when you were working at this little tiny booth at Picnic, which was sort of, a, I'm not sure exactly how to describe it, but sort of a craft. It's like an name. indie craft show sort indie of thing, but it's, it's, but it's really like a new age, like grandma version of craft show, but way cooler because now at the indie movement and the handmade movement is so huge right now. I, and Picnic, I think, has been an amazing 
for all of us designers that are small and they we need a place to kind of just show off what we do every day and an opportunity to make money at what we do and and uh, show the public what you know what's out there and this is like Etsy I mean Etsy's just exploded as well so so and I so I met you there and I knew that you had an Etsy presence and I, I agree with you I mean I think this this tactile this fiber textile all of these things the stuff that you can touch has become so much more important to younger people I believe than maybe the people in um, the the sandwich generation but now I know that you I see that you're reaching out that you've actually had success on national level you've been featured in magazines you know people are recognizing the work that you're doing tell me about some of the things that have happened to you recently and how things are moving forward and what some of your favorite things are that that are going on uh, just, I think last year was a real pinnacle point. I was featured in Oprah Magazine, and then I was featured in Country Living. We had a big spread family. They came out and shot our house and kind of profiled our family. Um, those two things, in this, they came out within the same year, which was really amazing and fun. Um, and that really put... The, and then I was, I mean, we've also been in probably over 30 ma- magazines in the last four years, too. And, but there, and I, what I think is what it's happening is people, and I always, and then um, Yankee Magazine just did a profile just recently on, it was like a profile of, of our studio. So that was the first actually studio, like with, with in our new studio in Westbrook. Because I mean, before that I was in my basement printing textiles with my husband in the middle of the night, you know, while the kids slept and I would be working as a graphic designer during the day. I mean, that's literally how I lived for like two and a half, three years. And I literally just decided, um, one day, I w- took a walk over to the mill, and I literally just decided to like move into the mill, obviously, and just take the leap. And um, I have a great blog post that I tell people about that they, if you ever feel like you're scared to take the leap, to to go read that blog post because it was me. It was actually the the moment before I really signed up and took took that first leap. But so you've gone from Etsy and Picnic and your basement and right. working as a graphic designer to Oprah Magazine and Country Living okay. and Yankee Magazine. And so these are things that have happened to you and are happening to mm-hmm. you now. What's exciting about your future? What are you hoping what are you hoping to do? Where like are you going? Go- yeah, yeah, where, where are you going? Where are we going with this? Um, I think about this all the time. It's something that I think um, I, I've literally had this plan since the beginning. I, I've, and I think you plant seeds into the universe, like what you really, really want. And I, I literally think about it every single day, like where I want to go. It's complete madness all the time. I have to say like all the different things that we're making. And I'm like, most of my days are ironing and, and, and shipping at this point. Cause we're so nuts. And I, I, I have help, but it's hard to like, put your stamp on everything when everybody else is helping. So I make sure that everything goes out and it looks beautiful and all that. And I think what's been really amazing about the whole publications is when I, is people are finally figuring out that um, it's like, it's pattern and it's color and it's design and it's American made. And it's a story because we're weaving the fabric we're not going to some place in India or we're not importing the fabric. We're, we're weaving the fabric ourselves, which is a huge piece of it. And we have it. And it's in, um, these people are American families that have been in the business and the industry for generations. So I feel like, okay, there's like the raw, the, that's just the ground. And then we come, we get the ground, we print on the ground. It's a solvent-free water-based ink. It's from Australia. We import it. It's not the cheapest ink. It's the most expensive ink we found, but it's the best ink that we found. So every little piece of it, 
um, has a story to it. The inserts are from Florida. That's from a Cuban American, uh, Cuban um, family that immigrated. You know, and they are an amazing piece of it. They everybody that f- it gives me all the little pieces to make what we're making has a story, and I believe in them as much as they believe in me. Like we're all supporting each other. And then once we actually print it, we have local women that are stitching this. You know, stitching them up, and then. So I think when the magazines see and read and and then obviously hopefully when they feel it and they touch it and they experience the patterns and not only do they have like an emotional response like I'm happy or I feel connected to this, whatever it is, but they also know that it's completely mindful in the way it's been produced and um, it's not even like a perfect thing. I mean, it constantly changes. Like I'll decide one day, like, you know, I feel like we could find, if I find something that's better, then I will change it to make it so it's never the same. Like I was telling you, your pillows in your your studio are may not be the same pillows that you may find right now because they've 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 changed. Like for example, the first pillow I had was um, just standard stitched. It was like serge, but now they're like a French corner, and we have a, like a nicer zipper. It's a hidden zipper. Like it's weird, like little technical stuff that I get excited about. So, and then just recently, one of our best selling things is zipper bags because everybody wants. Um, to it's interesting people sometimes want a pillow but they doesn't go with their decor or whatever so they want a piece of pattern that's just easy to take with them so they so I think that's why the the zipper bags have been so popular and I don't know I just think all of it together is one of those reasons why those magazines really picked up on it and I also think it photographs really well to be honest as a graph designer I know what sells in the sense of visual impact and having that graphic design background has completely made things so much easier for me I think and I really believe that because I'm able to market myself and design my own brand around where I want to go and that's always changing too I feel like I think brands are really powerful and like establishing a really um, strong brand and being consistent and I tell designers how to become a brand because people are get so disconnected and completely um uh, they don't know necessarily how to focus their brand in one direction. They get distracted or they start adding, like, I'll do this sort of aesthetic and then I'll try this aesthetic and it confuses the customer. So I feel like knowing that um, I've kind of been able to kind of keep myself on a single plane, but not, and I don't worry about selling things necessarily. I just make sure that things are cohesive and that it feels really good to me and I really love everything that comes out of it. And I feel like that's, all those things together, I think, is what people hopefully see and feel when they when they see my things. And that's, I think, the reason why people are writing about it. I am very proud to have my original pillows. <laughs> I'm, I'm excited to go get some new and different things from your studio now. I'm very inspired. Um, and I, I think we're proud to have you here in Maine. I really Thank enjoy um, spending, I mean, I really love that you had a goal you wanted to do something, you were passionate about it, you involved your kids, you involved your husband, and you just kept moving forward because I think that's something that is hard to do. It's hard to keep doing what you want to do and that, and practicing that and doing it and really putting yourself out there in the world. I give you a lot of credit for that. Thank you. So Erin, how can people find out about the work that you're doing? This is my website. It's erinflett.com.
Well, please do go to erinflett.com. Those of you who are listening, she has beautiful things, very colorful. Um, they just they make you want to smile, really, when you see them. Um, we've been speaking with Erin Flett, graphic textile and surface designer, who has her own line. And I think we will be seeing you really internationally at some point in the future. But don't forget that you are on Love, Maine Radio. Thank you so much. You have been listening to Love, Maine Radio, show number 175, Designing Maine. Our guests have included Heather Shantos and Aaron Flett. For more information on our guests and extended interviews, visit lovemainradio.com or read about them in Maine Magazine. Today I wanted to take a moment to share something a bit more personal with you. Shortly before Christmas, I received the phone call that changed my outlook as a physician. I was diagnosed with breast cancer at age 43. It is strange for me to say these words even now. Since my diagnosis, it has been a whirlwind of visits to doctors and medical facilities. Fortunately, my diagnosis, ductal carcinoma in situ, is an early stage cancer that was detected on screening mammogram. This week, I will undergo a bilateral mastectomy, the day after my birthday. As a small-chested woman with no family history and no known risk factors, to say I was shocked is an understatement. I have felt at times sad, angry, and confused but I've had a wealth of support from my family and friends, and I have a medical team in which I trust implicitly. I am confident that all will go well. I am one of the lucky ones that my cancer was caught early. The plastic surgeon who will perform my reconstruction told me that mammogram saved your life. She's absolutely right in more ways than one. I appreciate all the well wishes that I have already received, and if you have a faith, please keep me in your prayers or send positive energy my way. I know that I'm going to come out of this uh, better than I was before. Thank you for being a part of the Dr. Lisa and Love, Maine Radio listening world. You're all part of my family, and I appreciate your being there with me. Love, Maine Radio is downloadable for free on iTunes. For a preview of each week's show, sign up for our e-newsletter and like our Love, Maine Radio Facebook page. Follow me on Twitter and see my running travel food and wellness photos as Bountiful1 on Instagram. We love to hear from you, so please let us know what you think of Love, Maine Radio. We welcome your suggestions for future shows. Also, let our sponsors know that you have heard about them here. We are privileged that they enable us to bring Love, Maine Radio to you each week. This is Dr. Lisa Belial. I hope that you have enjoyed our Designing Maine show. Thank you for allowing me to be a part of your day. May you have a bountiful life. Love, Maine Radio is made possible with the support of the following generous sponsors. Maine Magazine, Marcy Booth of Booth, Maine, Apothecary by Design, Mike LePage and Beth Franklin of Remax Heritage, Tom Shepard of Shepard Financial, Harding Lee Smith of The Rooms, and Bangor Savings Bank. Love, Maine Radio with Dr. Lisa Belial is recorded in the studio of Maine Magazine at 75 Market Street, Portland, Maine. Our executive producers are Susan Grisanti, Kevin Thomas, and Dr. Lisa Belial. Audio production and original music by John C. McCain. Content producer is Kelly Clinton, and our online producer is Ezra Wolfinger. Love, Maine Radio is available for download free on iTunes. See the Love, Maine Radio Facebook page or go to www.lovemainradio.com for details. (laughs) 